Great to see you this morning. I want to ask you this morning, have you ever said something and quickly realized you should not have said it? Yeah, I think we all have, right? Have you ever created conflict in your home, in the church, with friends, with family, because of something you said? Yeah, I think we've all been there. As we've been looking in recent weeks about unity and God's plan for unity in the body of Christ, can I suggest that the greatest human threat to our unity is our speech, is our tongues and what we say. You know, I'm sure it's happened, but I've rarely seen a church have division because someone slugged someone else with their fist in a service. I've never seen a church divide over a preference at the potluck, though it probably has happened somewhere. But the reality is there is division after division after division in churches and, if we're honest, in homes as well because of what we say, because of how we boast and build ourselves up at the expense of others, because of the way we criticize and tear other people down, because of the way we gossip and bring down other people's views of one another, because of the way we complain and spread our own sinful bitterness to others, because of the way we make fun of people and crush them. Division happens because of what we say. My friends, can I also suggest that division happens in churches and in homes because of what we don't say, because we do not express appreciation for one another, because we do not build each other up, because we do not encourage each other to walk with God, because we do not keep the gospel before one another. And our silence gives opportunities for the adversary to bring in division. But it's not our main text for the morning. With that in mind, I want us to hear a warning from the book of James, and I'll have it on the screen for you. But James chapter, excuse me, James chapter 3, verse 2. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Now they are so large and are driven by strong winds. They are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. Verse 5. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And can I suggest how great a church has been set ablaze? By such a small fire as a tongue. How great a family has been set ablaze by something as small as our tongue. But James continues in verse 6. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. And then verse 9, with it, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. And they ought not to be so. Why should they not be so, friends? It's because of everything we're seeing in our journey through Ephesians. Because of everything we've seen in chapters 1 through 3 of who we are in Christ, seated at his table and seated alongside other brothers and sisters. Because of who we are in Christ, we are now called to walk worthy of that calling, to keep in balance our life with who Christ has said we are. And so these things should not be. Because of who we are in Christ and what he's called to do in praising him, out of our same mouth should not come things that create division. So we think about walking worthy. We've begun in Ephesians chapter 4 by looking at how we do so in terms of the body. There's much we're going to see in the months to come, how we walk worthy in lots of aspects of our life. But we're starting with how we walk worthy in terms of our relationship to one another as the body of Christ, as brothers and sisters. We saw last week we need to be actively working to build up the body. 
using our spiritual gifts to help each other mature. And today, we're going to see how we're to be building out the body through our speech. Because, friends, when we think of holiness of speech, I think often what comes to our minds, if your mind works like mine, is what we should not say. We equate holiness of speech with, well, I don't curse. Or holiness of speech, well, I don't put that person down. Or holiness of speech in terms of, I don't gossip. And we often see holiness of speech, walking worthy in our speech as being what we do not do. It's the idea of biting our tongue. But friends, can I suggest biting our tongues is not sufficient for holy speech? If we're going to be actively building up the body of Christ with our speech, God has given us our tongues for a reason. It's not just to have a callous tongue because we're gritting our teeth, hoping we don't say something bad. There is a responsibility God has given us with our tongues, with our speech, to use them for a particular reason. So with that in view, look at what that reason is. We're going to come to Ephesians chapter 4 this morning, carrying on our journey through Ephesians. Can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God? Just two verses this morning. Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Would you pray with me? Father, as we talk about our speech today and talk about our tongues, God, we ask for much grace upon grace this morning to really understand the power of speech and how you desire for us to use it for your purposes. So we ask, Holy Spirit, you would come and you would illumine the text for us to give us understanding. Holy Spirit, you come to each of our hearts and give us application of how we live this out in the particular places you put us. For your glory and for our joy, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So how do we use our tongues? What is God's plan for our tongues? Besides just don't create division, don't mess up the unity he has, what does he call us to do? I want you to see one thing this morning, and that's simply this. For the church to be healthy and to grow, we must lovingly speak the gospel to each other. For the church to be healthy and grow, we must lovingly speak the gospel to each other. It's not just enough to bite our tongues and not have divisive speech. We must be proactive to speak certain things to each other. Not our opinions, not our preferences, but to speak the gospel truth to one another. Friends, much is at stake, not just for our hearts and our souls, but for the whole church and for the body of Christ, of whether or not we are doing this thing, of using our tongues, not just to not be divisive, but in order to build up the body and help the church be healthy and grow. For the church to be healthy and grow, we must lovingly speak the gospel to each other. Now, we can apply the truths of today to our home life, to our marriages. We can apply the truth of today about our tongue and our speech to our workplaces and our schools. But we're focusing on the church because this is where Paul is starting and how we walk worthy of the calling. He's starting here with how we relate to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. So we want to start there. So let's look at the end goal first of the church being healthy and being all it's supposed to be. So go back to verse 14 from last week. This is to give us some context, but also the context of what we are no longer to be. Because verse 14 is our default starting point. Verse 14. So that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Friends, we do not start off as mature believers. We start off immature like this. We're described as children who are easily swayed. We're tossed to and fro. We're unstable. We're carried about by every wind of doctrine. We're easily deceived into sin with the craftiness of deceitful schemes. That's where we start off, but that's not where God leads us. God's plan is for us to grow beyond that. So go backwards a verse to verse 13, what we saw last week. This is where God is taking us where he wants us to be. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. Now, we unpacked this last week, but in looking at this, what is God's goal for us is to grow in our knowledge of Him. There's a common faith 
we have to maturity, but also to the fullness of Christ. That means to holiness, to Christ-likeness, where our lives more and more reflect what Christ is and who Christ is. That's God's plan for us, not just individually, but as a body. So now I'll go back to our text for today, verse 15. Paul continues that idea of God's plan for us together. Verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Notice this, we, we together. This is not just me and my quiet time growing. This is us together collectively growing into Christ's likeness. We're growing up in every way. That means to mature in all aspects of our life. But what does that maturing look like for us? There at the end of verse 15, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Think about this imagery that we have here of him being the head. My head tells my rest of my body what to do. My head says, raise your arm, raise your other arm. Our head directs our bodies. The imagery here of us growing into Christ's head means we are growing in submission to him. We're growing into him as being our Lord, our boss, our master, that we are, by his grace, obeying him. Him being the head that we're growing into means that we are more and more being conformed to Christ's likeness as we grow in holiness by submitting to him in all things. But again, friends, this is not a Jesus and me project. This is a community project, us together collectively growing into Christ as our head, as our boss, as our masters. We together submit to him as our Lord. Unless we miss this community project, go to verse 16 this morning. Paul makes it really clear. From whom the whole body, unless we think it's just for the leadership or just for the missionaries, just for the Sunday school teachers, no, it is for the whole body. This growth we're talking about is for every single one of us. If you claim to be a follower of Christ, if you are Ephesians 1 through 3 in Christ, this is, excuse me, for you. The whole body is joined. The whole body is held together by every joint. The image here of the joint is places to where body parts meet. Friends, as we live interdependent lives in the church, there's many places that our lives will intersect with one another. That's the imagery here of it. And God's plan is for us as our lives intersect, as our lives touch each other, as we live out the body of Christ here, what happens when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up. And love. God's plan is for the church to be healthy and grow. Now, I'm not necessarily speaking of numeric growth, though that's nice when the Lord does that. He's sovereign over that. Growth here is primarily about our spiritual growth, our maturing into Christ's likeness, us submitting to Christ as Lord, it's us maturing as the body of Christ. So the question is, how do we get there? We saw it last week, we see it this week. God's plan is for us to be maturing, to be becoming more like Christ, to be growing into these things. How in the world do we make that happen? Well, go back to verse 15 and the end of it. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Now, verse 16, from whom, that's the important phrase there, from Christ, the whole body is joined. From Christ, the body is held together by every joint by which it's equipped. From Christ, each part is working properly. From Christ, he makes the body grow. So Christ is the one who has to grow the church. Christ is the one who has to create holiness in our life. But who does he work through to do that? So do the same experiment last week. Now look around the room. You can move your neck around, stretch your look Now look around the room. Everyone you see is God's grace gift to you to help you grow in Christ's likeness. Now look around the room again. Everyone, you, can, you can turn your head. It's okay. Look around. You are God's grace gift to help everyone else around you mature into Christ's likeness as well. Yes, it is God's sovereign work, but he chooses to work through us. He can do it any way he wants to, but he chooses to work through his word as we speak it to one another. Hence, there's the expectation in verse 16 here. He's the one who makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. He does the work and gives us a responsibility to now build ourselves up as he works through us. And hence, the command of verse 15 here, 
towards the end of it, that we are to grow up in every way. It's God's work, but he chooses to work through us. God has desires for the church to be healthy and grow, and he gives us something to do. So what is it he gives us to do? Back at the beginning of verse 15. Rather, rather than what? Rather than being immature, rather than being unstable, rather than being deceived by sin, rather than being tossed around in unstable beliefs. What has he called us to do to keep us from being that, to call us to this growth and holiness? Pretty simple, beginning of verse 15. Speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love. Now, this is a fun phrase because Paul does something fun here with the language that we miss in our translations. Again, our translators are really kind to us here. They add the word speaking. The word speaking does not occur in the original Greek of this. Paul takes the noun for truth and he makes it into verb. Basically, Paul decides to create a word that does not exist to communicate a truth to us. Literally, this says, rather, truthing in love. So again, we kind of, what in the world is truthing? There's no English word for truthing, so our translators kindly add speaking the truth. But Paul's trying to make an emphasis here. Rather, our responsibility is to truth in love to one another, to truth one another in love. Now, friends, that's huge. Because that changes the focus. It's not my responsibility to speak. It is my responsibility to truth you. It's your responsibility to truth me. It's our responsibility to communicate, not just whatever we want to communicate, but we are called to truth a particular message to one another. And that's not my opinions or your opinions, my preferences or your preferences. It is the message of the truth of the Word of God. The only other time that Paul chooses to use this word, truthing one another, he uses it in Galatians to describe sharing the gospel. He has in mind here that our responsibility is not just to talk to one another about whatever we think the other person should do. Our responsibility is to truth in love, to truth the gospel in love to one another. So, yes, God does the work of building the body. Yes, God chooses to do that, but God chooses to work through all of us to make that happen as we, as we saw last week, as we use our spiritual gifts to serve, but also now as we speak to one another about the gospel messages. We remind each other regularly of Ephesians 1 through 3. Friends, for the church to be healthy and grow, we must lovingly speak the gospel to each other. And can I remind us that the gospel is not just something that we need to come to faith in Christ, though it is that. It is so much more, friends. The gospel, the good news of who Jesus is and how to know him is what you and I need for every day of our lives. It's what we need for today. It's what we need to experience as God. It's what we need to walk in holiness. And so for us together as a body to be healthy, for us to be growing up into him then we have a God-given responsibility to everyone else who names the name of Christ to be speaking the truth in love, to be truthing one another. We are to be kidding the gospel message to each other. But notice there's a particular way we're supposed to truth one another. This is not truth one another, period. This is not speak in one another as we have it all figured out. This is not speak as one who is above or has it all figured out and speak in a demeaning or a demanding way. It's not that. What is it that we're called to do in verse 15 here? You notice it. Rather speaking the truth, either truthing in what? What's that next word? Speaking the truth in love. We have a responsibility to gospel truth one another in love. What does it mean to do that in love? Well, Paul's already told us. Go back to chapter 4, verse 1. He lays out what he means by walking in a loving way here. So chapter 4, verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling by, to which you have been called. Verse 2. With all humility and gentleness... With patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So, friends, God's will is for us to be truthing one another, to be keeping the gospel before one another, proactively truthing one another with the gospel. It's absolutely essential for us to be doing this, but to be doing so with humility, to be doing so with gentleness, to be doing so with 
forbearing love, to be doing so with an eagerness for unity. So how do we do that, friends? That sounds so simple. We're supposed to just speak the truth in love to each other. It sounds so simple and straightforward, but if we're honest, it's a lot harder than it sounds. Back to my opening question. If it was so easy and simple, there wouldn't be such division in our churches, in our homes, and in our city. So how do we truth one another with the gospel in love? I want to give us this morning six practical ways to apply this to our lives. Six steps, if you will. I'm normally not a big list person, but I think this one warrants it. From Scripture, six different ways that will help us learn how to better truth one another with the gospel in love. So how do we do it? First point I want us to see here is we must understand the gospel ourselves. If we're going to do this, we have to understand the gospel ourselves. And I don't just mean just John 3.16. I mean the totality of the Word of God, of who God is and how we relate to Him. Look back at verse 13 here of Ephesians chapter 4. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. We are called to unity of a particular belief in who God is. We must know who God is. We must have a grasp of the gospel here. Friends, if we do not grasp the gospel, we do not know the word of God well, not only will you and I not stand in terms of personal holiness, not only will you and I not stand against the pressure of this world and the attacks of the enemy, but we have nothing to offer to help the body grow. If all you and I have to help the body grow are my opinions and your opinions, friends, to use a good southern expression, we're up a creek without a paddle. There's not much hope for the church, if all we have are our opinions, we must know this word from beginning to end intimately if we want to stand ourselves and if we want to be able to help one another. So first, we must understand the gospel for ourselves. Second of all, it's very closely related. We must be speaking this truth to ourselves. Before we can speak it well to others, we need to speak it to ourselves. Before we can help others see this truth, we must make sure we understand it. Friends, the reality is none of us, none of us have it all figured out. All of us have areas and gaps in our life where we need to grow. None of us have fully arrived. None of us, friends, are fully mature. So we need to make sure we're keeping the gospel before us. Don't you see from Matthew chapter 7, verse 3, I have it on the screen for you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your eye brother's eye here. Friends, when we talk about taking the log out of our own eye, it doesn't mean we can't help take the speck out of each other's eyes. That's actually what it's there for. But the starting place for us here is preaching the gospel to ourselves. The point of this passage is before you can help others go in godliness, you better be striving for godliness yourself. Before you try to help others find victory over sin, make sure you're seeking God's grace for victory over sin yourself. Tackle the sin of your own heart first before you tackle other people's sin. So make sure, friends, we're keeping the gospel before ourselves before we speak it to others. So first, we must understand the gospel. Two, we must be speaking the truth to ourselves. But number three, we should desire to help others grow. Friends, we should desire to help others grow. It is a good God-given desire to want to see fellow believers grow in godliness, to see fellow believers have the lies of the enemy silenced, to see fellow believers rescued from the power of sin. And we should want that in each other's lives. I fear there's a timidity of us doing that because of the judge-not culture in which we find ourselves. In fact, Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, perhaps the most misquoted verse in all the Bible. Judge not that you not be judged, or that you be not judged. Your friends, so often 
we see clear sin in other people's lives. We see clear areas where people who claim the name of Christ are being deceived, and we get really timid and really quiet because, oh, well, that's between them and God. I can't judge. I don't want to become across as judging. And we listen to the way the culture has twisted this passage, and we get really silent instead of desiring what God has given us to desire, and that is to pursue helping one another grow in godliness. The problem with the judge not passage is totally out of context. Matthew 7, 1, judge not that you not be judged, is followed by verse 2. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured. And that's followed by what we just read. Why do you see the speck that's in your own eye or your brother's eye when you have the log in your own eye? Then go down to verse 5. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then, doesn't stop there, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. It doesn't say don't judge, only deal with yourself. It says, with the judgment you use, you will be judged. Make sure you're being consistent. Be willing to have the same standard applied to you that you apply to other people. Use the same attitude in confronting other people you want people to use with you as well. Friends, this is a call not for us to be silent and not judge. This is a call for us to be willing to use the same standard with others that we won't use for ourselves. It's saying it's a two-way street. It's saying that I'm willing to speak truth in your life just as you're willing to speak truth into my life. As me being willing to help you is also being willing for you to help me, friends. Because the very thing I may be able to help you with this week that you're struggling with is probably what I'll need you to help me with in a few weeks, what I'm struggling with. We're all in this together. None of us have it all figured out. And so we need one another. We should desire to help each other grow in godliness. We should not be timid about helping each other grow in godliness, but we need to have the same attitude to others we want them to have to us here with humility, with gentleness, with patience, and with love. Together we can help each other grow in holiness as we speak the gospel to each other. And friends, if we really love one another as brother and sister in Christ, we will do this. Think about this. If you have kids, you love your kids. I love my kids. And therefore, because I love my kids, when I see them believing a lie... I talk to them about it. When I see my kids developing idols in their hearts, I confront them on that and challenge them on that. When I see them misbehaving, I correct them because I love them. I have a special relationship with them. Now, I see other kids misbehaving in Chick-fil-A all the time, and I don't correct them, though I am tempted to at some times to go over to their table. But I don't because they're not mine. I'm not in a relationship with them like I am my own kids. Friends, we are the body of Christ. We have covenanted together to be in this Christian life together. We're to be a family of God. We're to be a building he's building together. We're in as close of a human relationship as basically possible. God is bringing us together. Friends, we should have the same commitment to help one that we have to our own family. If we really love each other and see one another deceived by the lies of the enemy, following after the ways of the world, and we keep silent, we don't love that person. This idea of judging not is not love. If we love someone, we love them so much, we help them see the lies of the enemy, the ways of the world in their life, because we want them to have the fullness of all that God has for them. So friends, if we want to live out truthing one another in love, we must understand the gospel, must speak that gospel truth to ourselves, and we should desire to want to help others grow in holiness. Now, how do we start practicing that out? Number four, we must distinguish God's word from our opinions. We must distinguish God's word from our opinions. Go back to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love. Friends, we're not to speak whatever we want to. We're to speak the truth. The emphasis here is, again, not on speaking, but truthing one another. The truth being the gospel here. Our responsibility is to keep the gospel before one another. Paul got this. Go back just a chapter, maybe a page in the Bible, to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 2. Look at how he describes it. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 2. Assuming you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace 
It was given to me for you. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written boldly. When you read, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. These, these young believers in Ephesus who come out of the false worship of the temple of Diana or Artemis, these people who come out of the occult practices in Ephesus, the conflict that was happening between Jew and Gentile there, Paul doesn't write to them and goes, okay, I want to tell you how I think you should live this out and make this work. Here's ten steps for a happy life together in Ephesus. That's not what he's doing. What does he do? He sees back in verse 2 here, excuse me, yeah, back in verse 2 and 3 here, he sees himself as having a stewardship of God's grace. He's not there to tell the people in Ephesus his opinion of how he thinks they can be the happiest together. God has given him grace. has given him a message of grace to share to them. It was a mystery that God revealed to him by revelation. And friends, that revelation is now in the page of this book, beginning to end. We don't need our opinions to help one another. We have this. Everything we need for life and godliness is in the pages of Holy Scripture. And that is what we are to be truthing one another with. What's so concerning today is we seem so hesitant to share God's clear revelation with other people for fear of being seen as judging, for fear of being seen as holier than thou or coming across the wrong way. And so we're so timid to share what's actually life-changing and powerful, and we're hesitant to do it. And instead, we're very quick to want to share our opinions, our preferences, our desires, our way of doing things at home or at work or at school or in the church. And we're so quick to share our opinions and so hesitant to share the unchanging revelation. Friends, it must be flipped. Our ambition must be to help someone see how the gospel comes to be on every situation they face. Not how I would handle it or how you would handle it, but how the gospel speaks into their situation. How God's grace comes to bear on whatever situation they're facing. Friends, if we want to speak the truth in love, we want to truth the gospel and love to another, we must understand it ourselves. Number two, we must speak it to ourselves. Number three, we must desire to help others grow. Number four, we must distinguish between God's word from our opinions. But number five... When we need to talk to someone, we go first to that person. When we need to talk to someone, we go first to that person. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, we'll put up on the screen for you, is a model for this. If your brother sins against you, let me just add there, I think we can apply this as well to if you're concerned that your brother is in sin, sin against someone else, if your brother is being deceived by the enemy, if your brother is falling after the ways of the world, you go and tell him his fault. It doesn't say go to the pastor. It doesn't say go to his friend group. It says, go and tell him directly, to his face first, his fault, between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained a brother. Friends, that seems so rare today. For when we're concerned about someone to go to that person in private and say, I love you as a brother in Christ, and I don't have it figured out. I'm struggling as well, but I want to speak to this because I love you, and I'm concerned about what's happening in your heart. It seems we're much quicker to want to go gossip about that person and cloak as a prayer request. Hey, go pray for so-and-so. Do you know they're doing dot, 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 you know, and we fill in the blank, or how quick it is we're to complain to our friends that, you know, so-and-so is doing this, instead of us going to the person, a person who's seated at the same table, the king, next to us. And God has called us, as brothers and sisters, seated together at his table, to go to that person directly who we're seated with at his table to talk about our concerns. Because that does not mean we never bring other people involved. I'd encourage you later to read the rest of Matthew 18. We don't have time to do that this morning. Maybe that'll be a sermon for another day. But there is a place to bring other people along. If the person does not repent, is not responsive, there's a place to get more involved and eventually get the whole church involved. But the point for today is when we're concerned about where someone else is, our responsibility is to truth them in love, to speak the truth in love by going to them directly first before we go to anyone else. And friends, can I make a practical suggestion here? Do it in person, face-to-face. Email, text, and Facebook is not the best way to truth one another in love. 
so much conflict happens because we can't read cues. We can't read nonverbal communication. We can't see someone's heart over a 140-character message. So practical suggestion of coming from the Word of God here. Let's go do this in person with him, between you and him alone, not over the Internet. So we want to speak the truth in love. Number one, understand the gospel ourselves. Number two, speak it to ourselves. Number three, desire, have a longing to help each other grow. Number four, distinguish God's word from our opinions. Number five, go to the person in person. And lastly, do it all with humility and prayer. Do it all with humility and prayer. Friends, humility and prayer go hand in hand. If we're not praying, it's because we're pretty self-confident, so we're not very humble. And if we're, if we're praying, it's a good reflection that we're probably pretty humble because we realize how dependent we are in the Lord, not only for grace for today, but for, us, for God to intervene and fix that situation that we're concerned about in that person's life. Friends, I cannot stress enough, we need to remember, as we're doing this body of life, to, body of Christ's life together, to remember one another, our brothers and sisters, seated at the same table of the King with us. Which makes it even more alarming how quick we are to gossip, put down, slander, be bitter towards someone else seated beside us at the table of the king. When the king calls us to look to him and to see his glory and to treat one another's brothers and sisters with humility and gentleness and forbearing love, eager for unity with them. And that means because we want all that, that when we see concerns, we speak the gospel truth to one another. And even if we don't see concerns, we still speak the gospel truth to one another to help us look to the Lord. Friends, we're not called to together sit at the king's table and start gossiping about the people at the table with us. We're not called to sit at the king's table and slander the people at the table with us. We're not called to complain about the people at the table with us. We're called to look to the king and worship him and see his glory. And then if there are concerns, to truth one another with the gospel in a way of gentleness and humility. Friends, for the church to be healthy and to grow, we must lovingly speak the gospel to each other. Friends, I'm not pretending that's easy. If it was easy, it wouldn't, we wouldn't have so much division across our city and across our churches and across our homes. But what I can promise you is it's God's will for us. It may not be easy, but it's God's will. It may not be easy, but friends, it's also good. God knows what's best, and he's given us a good plan for how we're to relate. But even though it's not easy, friends, God always gives grace to do what he commands. So it may not be where our natural tendencies are, where our flesh would want to go. But God gives abundant grace so that we can walk worthy of the calling with which we have, so that we can treat one another in these ways. So it's not easy, friends, but it's God's will. It's not easy, but it's good. It's not easy, but God gives grace to do it. But let me give you some hope in this. It's not easy, but we can grow in doing this. Think back to what we were looking at last week in Ephesians verse 12, to be equipped for the works of ministry. Friends, one of the works of ministry is us loving each other enough to speak the gospel to one another. That means we can be equipped to do so. That means it takes us seeking the Lord in prayer. It means us reading and growing. Drew already recommended a great book to if you want to grow in that. There's other great books in the library out there in the resource center that can help you with that. If you're like, I am struggling in this relationship, how do I speak the truth in love? Friends, there's a team of elders and a team of deacons who are here who would love to come alongside you. There's Sunday school teachers and life group leaders who would love to come alongside you. If you want to be equipped in this, you don't have to do this alone. That's not the body of Christ. We are in this together to build up the body of Christ. Because there's so much at stake. Are we going to be healthy and grow as we lovingly speak the gospel to one another? Would you pray with me? Father, we are thankful for your word. We're thankful for your word when it's easy, and we're thankful for your word when it's hard. And we're thankful for your word when it encourages us and when it convicts us. And Lord, I pray for myself and these precious brothers and sisters, Lord, that Lord, we would really understand why you've given us a tongue in the first place. 
God, that our tongues are here to worship you, to, to glorify you, but Lord, also for building up the body. God, I pray you'd help every single one of us understand our God-given responsibility for seeing the church be all that you desire the church to be. Lord, I pray that you show us our role in that, knowing that you've gifted every single one of us with different gifts for reasoning. God, you've placed us all here to truth one another in love. God, would you give us grace to overcome our people-pleasing tendencies? Would you give us grace to overcome our fear of one another? Would you give us grace to overcome our wondering what people think? And I pray we, with spirit-filled humility and gentleness and love, overcome those barriers and be able to more boldly, in love, truth one another with the gospel. Lord, I need these precious brothers and sisters to do that to me. They need to do it to each other. I need to do it for them. Lord, we're all in this together. So would you give us much, much, much grace, Lord, to do what our natural flesh doesn't want to do, and that's to speak directly to one another the gospel message that we need for life and godliness for today. And we'll trust that as we do that, your church will be built up and grow, that you will work as we share your word with one another. So God, would you show us more of what that looks like? Fathers, the life groups this week wrestle with some of these deeper questions. Now, how do we practically do this? And what does this look like to truth one another? God, I pray that your spirit would just fill those gatherings in people's homes this week as they think through and talk more about this. And all this week, Lord, I pray you'd be giving us opportunities, open doors, where we see ways that we can encourage one another with the gospel, correct one another with the gospel as needed, and we'll build up the body through sharing the gospel. Lord, I pray when we see those opportunities, we wouldn't be timid or scared, but God, you would give us spirit-filled boldness to open our mouths and to truth one another with humility and gentleness, forbearing love and great patience with one another. And we'll trust you to grow the body as we do that this week. Because Lord, we know you love the church even more than we do. And we'll give you the praise. Ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song?